I came in with a sport coat on. Some of you have been here your whole life, and you probably count on how, uh, probably, probably one hand how many times I've had one on the church. <laughs> but I thought the, uh, the, the day and the, um, I don't know, the, the reverence I have for standing up here in front of you warranted that. So several weeks ago, when, when we got back from the Philippines, we talked with Brother Zach about, you know, wanting to share our story that uh, God had laid something on my heart while we were over there, and I felt like I needed to share with the church. And uh, I know a lot of you followed us, on, followed us on Facebook and our little private group or whatever while we were over there, but I know everybody doesn't have that. And we thought that our church family may want to hear a little bit about our experience there, and uh, we've got some pictures and things to show you. So... Uh, we're just going to kind of set the stage for that and, and let y'all see the video and we'll talk about our experience there a little bit. And um, for all intents and purposes, I'm going to preach. So, y'all want to leave now? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So, um, our journey began, what, almost six years ago? Six years ago. Um, we were burdened for, for another child, more children, didn't understand why we couldn't have one of our own. Um, struggled through that, prayed through that for, for a few years and felt burdened to adopt. And through prayer, God using other people um, in our lives, random connections that we didn't know we had to the Philippines, um, we were compelled to, to pursue that. Um, in March of 2021, we were matched. We got a phone call at school. Um, Kaylin come running down to my office, and we were able to call, and, and uh, we learned that, that we had been matched with Kian. And, uh, and what was really neat was uh, a few, I guess February, the beginning of February, we had a ICAP had been really silent, which is the board who matches you with children in the Philippines. They had been silent for several months. And uh, all of a sudden we get a email and it says, uh, we would like for Kenzie K. Lofton to write a letter uh, letting us know, expressing how she feels about having a little brother. And we were like, well, this is very random. Or not a little brother, a uh, sibling. And we thought it was really random that all of a sudden they wanted to talk to Kenzie Kay. Anyway, and so she just, I mean, wrote out her feelings, and we sent it over, and then it was in March. That was probably the middle of February that we got that email, and she sent that letter, and in March we were found out we were matched with our little boy. <laughs> so, And uh, from March to October, the Lord, he worked through just so many with just uh, people giving donations, of course, prayer. But we were just amazed of how the paperwork got done so quick, uh, even though it seemed for forever for maybe even some of you for us. But, you know, we had waited five years, so just a few more months, we were like, we can do this. And uh, anyway, but uh, in August, Kian was able to get his medicals uh, his physicals and everything done. Well, then COVID hit the orphanage at the end of September, and middle of September, and um, first of September, September sometime. And uh, anyway, when we found out we ha he had it and uh, everything, but I would thank goodness I was able to be in touch with the director, and she just confirmed that he was okay and uh, and everything. But uh, the end of September, we got travel invite. Well. The paperwork is just crazy. So we were told from the end of September to plan on November 12th leaving. And um, so we ended up a couple weeks getting our travel exemption form. And our agency said they have never had a family in all these years get travel exemption that quick. And so we were just amazed. Like, we just knew it was nothing but God. And... Um, Anyway, so we were able to get that, and she was like, you know, that's, you know, if y'all can go ahead and get your visas, y'all might could travel the end of uh, October, and I was like, whoa, you know, first, middle of October, let's, 
you know, we just wouldn't. So this, this long wait turned into a sprint. Yeah. But what, on October 20th, though, I woke up and had my time, my devotion time, and I remember praying that. Uh, it was then I was able to look back at my prayer journal, and I prayed that morning, and I said, Lord, if there's any way, you know, if it's your will that we travel next week, because they told us the last week in October, you know, I pray that we will receive our documents, our visas. And uh, anyway, that day we got our visas. Like, we came home from school and they were in the mail, and it was like, whoa, didn't know. <laughs> you know, I knew then, of course, okay, this is God's will, hey, you know. But um, it's just been really neat to, I mean, we were able to move our flights, and, of course, we left on October 25th. And um, just even though, like, our journey seemed so long, and it was long. It, I mean, it was long. And we had tears and asked questions of why and stuff. It just, after going through it and, of course, getting key in, you know, just though our journey was long, the reward in having him was so, I mean, it was just amazing, just amazing. And it reminded me of here on earth how we all go through trials in life, I mean, whether it's sickness or losing a loved one. And, but, you know, here is just temporary. Like, the reward that we get when we get to see, and, you know, see our, see our God face to face. Like, that's the reward that we get. So that's kind of how, what our journey kind of reminded me of and <clears throat> how the Lord just touched my heart is, though he took us through this journey and he was there with us every step of the way, he used many of you to help us through it, you know, yeah. still our great reward was key, us getting key in from our adoption journey, but also just, again, our life, you know, here's just temporary. Our greatest reward is being with Christ one day. And so um, we do have a PowerPoint that uh, we're going to, we wanted to share with y'all. <clears throat> Prophesy oh, oh. Yeah. This is a house of worship This is a place of
So uh, when we arrived in the Philippines, when we had the quarantine, we were there six and a half days, essentially. Um, I only made Kaylin really angry once. So that was a really good thing. Um, I, I thought I did pretty good there. But the time difference was like 12 or 13 hours, 14 hours, something like that. We were at the orphanage where I slept all night. So I, what I thought how miserable quarantine would be for me because I don't just sit around and do nothing for, you know, a long time. I do every now and then, but, you know, six days, we thought I was going to go bonkers. Well, I couldn't sleep, so, you know, it just kind of that helped me out a little bit. Um, anyway, the day that we were to leave, uh, we were packing and excited. And uh, Kaylin walked up to me. I was looking out the window. It's the same building we've been looking at for six days. <laughs> so I would see. And uh, she said, today I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all the negative pregnancy tests. And we hugged each other really tight. And that kind of the magnitude of that just kind of kept, you know, rolling over me. And um, I mean, it was real. We, Fifteen-hour flight will make you believe. I mean, it, it was real. But that just that moment, her sharing that with me. I don't know. It it uh it really it really touched me deep down in my in my soul. Uh, so we were able to travel. They picked us up about twelve and. Got the orphanage about two, somewhere in there. We had to stop for coffee. Um, <laughs> traffic there is amazing. There aren't a lot of traffic lights. There aren't a lot of stop signs. Um, the lanes are suggestions. A lot of people ride motorcycles and, and scooters, and they go in between you and other vehicles. It's just what they do. When you come to an intersection, if you feel froggy, you go. <laughs> and the other people either honk their horn at you or swerve around you or whatever. It, it was, it, it took, took a while. Uh, but we, we met with the director uh, first and, and she shared with us how important it would be for us to be a good example of a mama and a daddy while we were there because all the other children were gonna be watching us and how we interacted with Kian and them because they needed to know what a daddy looks like. They didn't know what a mama looks like. Um, little did we know there was 130 of them <laughs> in that one house. Um, but some of those pictures, that picture uh, was the 
the first moments that we met Ken. Um, and you're talking about a, a little boy just scared to death, of course, but with the biggest smile on his face. Like, I remember hugging him and him shaking. He was just a shaking. <laughs> I, <laughs> oh, but uh, <clears throat> we had uh, Mama Charity, is, who, who is, was the director. That's what all the kids there knew her as was Mama, Mama Chair. And so she was, she opened the door and uh, she, she asked, she said, come on. Anyway, and she shut it for a minute. She said, he's in there. He, he needs a minute. And she <laughs> said he was out there <clears throat> like breathing, like trying to catch his breath. Anyway, and I could tell as soon as he came, he came straight to me. And like I said, in that picture, he was just a shaking. <laughs> yeah. We all kind of felt that way. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. Uh, but uh, so we were able to meet and, and we just hung out together for that afternoon. Supper was at 4.30. It's really early, right? Devotion was at 5.45-ish, something like that, 5.30, 5.45. And then they started putting them to bed at 7.30. Now, I don't know what time. I can't testify what time he actually went to sleep every night, but that's when they started putting them to bed. Uh, so we go down to Devotion. I made the mistake of thinking that I needed to take a shower before I went down there. It was, I don't know, still 80 degrees in there, if not warmer. Packed in this little bitty room. Y'all saw it a couple times uh, when all the kids were sitting down singing, but we're all sitting on this little tile floor in there, and it's, I don't know, 80, 100 of them in there, and it's rather warm. <laughs> It was not comfortable. The shower was pointless. Uh, but being able to worship with all those children, watching how they worship, um, I wept every night. I wept every night. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more a little later, but it was, uh, it was convicting. It was convicting being there and seeing how they how they worship and listening to them pray, the things they were thankful for. They were thankful that they were safe, that they were fed, they were loved, they had some more sleep. You know, those are the things that they, they, they prayed Thanksgiving over. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, eye-opening for us. I don't, I don't know. I tried not to have a lot of preconceived notions going into an orphanage. I didn't really know what to expect. But the, I don't know, when we got there and just seeing how the children interacted with each other, how they interacted with the staff, how they interacted with charity, um, I, I was blown away. She's an incredibly godly woman. Um, those children are loved. They know they're loved. All of them call her mama, and we were we were very impressed at the the, the family atmosphere there. Even with 130 of them, and um, three and a half floors, um, you saw that's <clears throat> I don't know it'll pop up again in a minute. That was kind of a half basketball court, not quite half, but that they did class, art, games, basketball. They had chairs stacked up on the side, little desks. They'd move them out when they needed them, and put them back up so they could play. Um, but it was amazing to watch how the kids interacted. If you took 100 kids from here and put them in that scenario, oh, they'd either kill each other or burn the house down, one of the two. I mean, seriously, if, if you took, I was thinking about that when I got back, you know, if you took 100 kids from Star in various age ranges and put them over there in that environment, like they'd, we'd, we'd tear the building down. Uh, but they, yeah, they played together so well. Um, even like when I, we were, I was running through the chairs, that was exercise time. That was, what, an hour and a half or so with really one lady leading it. Really. I mean, there were a couple people, other people that were in and out. Of course, we did it with them that Friday morning, but I mean, there wasn't a fight. There wasn't a, there's was a little bit of shoving between boys, and I think they were just playing and sizing each other up. They weren't you know, starting an altercation. It was amazing that they didn't have any problems or issues like that. 
and I'm sure they do happen from time to time, but we just talked about how, I mean, I felt like that was just God's blessing on that place and, and that home and, and the, the, the love and the, the willingness to serve uh, there, so. And this is, uh, <clears throat> this picture right here was, it was Ken's favorite spot at, um, so Gentle Hands was in the city and they also had another orf I mean, orphanage, mm -hmm. but home. it was nothing, it was a home of nothing but boys. And it was called the ho House of Grace, Home of Grace. And um, anyway, well this is where Ken, this is where he was for a while. And then once he was matched, they brought him to Gentle Hands and, um, so Mama Charity could kind of prepare. prepare him. And uh, but this was the tree house that the kids love and that was their yard that, I mean, they, they love playing soccer. Soccer was their big thing. But it was, I think, 40 boys ranging from ages, I think they told us, I think it was like three to, I think they had a, maybe a one or two, like a 111, 112, 113 year old but they were nothing but boys. And so we were able to go there one day. And uh, Kian was able to, of course, tell all his friends thereby and everything. And uh, But just to say, when we pulled in the gate, uh, like they were running up to the van. And I mean, they were there to greet us as soon as we got out. But uh, anyway, it was neat to see, of course, where he had started at and, uh, and just how well he was taken care of there too. Yeah, absolutely. We've. Uh well, I know I, I don't think I've ever been touched so much in my life. They, uh, they climb all over the top of me, you know. Uh, the Filipino people are not necessarily a, a big people. Um, I had a lot of a lot of little kids on my head, on my shoulders, patting me, you know, pulling the hair on my face. They're not a hairy people either. They'd rub your arms or your leg, you know at you and say, why are you so big? Why are you so big? <laughs> the little boys especially. Seth um, learned no in sign language really quick. I did. There he were did. three of them that wanted me to carry them everywhere at that house. Just no, do this. This is not, that's right. No. <laughs> he did. So. Um, anyway, um, but it was, it was an amazing opportunity uh, for us to love on those children to share, to minister to them. Um, I really, I have a ton of respect for uh, Miss Charity, um, but she, she's a lady that knows what she wants. She's demanding. Um, she told me after we were there for about two days, you're, you're leading devotion before you leave. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> but it was, a, uh, it was a really good opportunity just to share with those kids uh, the truth of God's word and how much they are loved and that their heavenly father would, uh, that they were special and that he'd never leave them. Uh, so it was, it was an amazing experience. Um, it was a very humbling experience. We, uh, we want to continue a relationship with them. We want to help them. Um, can you imagine doing laundry for 130 children plus a few of your staff? Anybody want to go volunteer to help with that? <laughs> How about if you had to handle it twice? They have one machine that does the agitating and they have to take it out of there and put it in another one to spin it. And right now the dryer's broken. So the kids run it up to the roof and hang it up on clotheslines and then they just, that's all day long. They have four people there on staff and all they do is laundry. <laughs> um, so those are some of the things I told them that I would like to help with. Um, and the, uh, there's a, like a swing set type thing on the roof that has rotted and fallen apart. Um, and we would like to help get some materials to do that a little more permanently. Um, anyway, I, I say all that to say that, that in, in the coming weeks, we'll, I've talked to Zach, we'll, we'll probably take up some sort of love offering to go towards that point. Um, and probably going to take this uh, to some other churches in the area and try to help meet that need because if they don't get a new dryer before the rainy season hits, 
they're going to be in a bind. And I think that's something that, that we can do for them that God's kind of laid on my heart, uh, just walking around there. And we just followed him around every day and kind of did, you know, whatever it was he was supposed to do. And those are just some things that, that I was able to see that were some needs that, you know, we can't send material over there. That wouldn't be realistic. I can't go to Home Depot and buy what they need and take it to them. Uh, but we can we can definitely send the money. And, and we've, I've spoken with her a little bit about working through that, and she's supposed to send me some numbers so we know exactly what we're talking about. So I just wanted you to know when you hear that in the coming weeks what it was for and, and what our purpose is in doing that and trying to, to raise that money uh, for them. Those are some real needs, and you know that that orphanage is supported a little bit by the Church of God, um, but the rest of their budget and everything else they do comes from from fundraising and and people kind of heading that up for them and and trying to take care of them and meet their needs in that way. So uh, just just something to be praying about in in the coming weeks whenever we kind of get that lined up. So. All right, so that took a little bit longer than I thought it would. Tried to uh, tried to get Shane to sing a song in between that, but he wouldn't do it. Just so I wouldn't be up here talking the whole time. I know y'all are probably tired of hearing it, but. If you would, open your Bibles to 2 Samuel this morning. Um, the first night I was in the orphanage, I'm going to try to keep this up here so I don't, I just won't touch that anymore, how about that? <clears throat> uh, the first night I was in the orphanage, I sent Brother Zach a message that said, look, I'm not I'm not saying I need to preach, but God's laid something on my heart, and I think I need to share it. And uh, so we talked about this day, how he would be out of town, and this would be a good fit. Little did he know that, you know, this would uh, work out the way it did, but, you know, God knew. And here I am. So I'm going to try to, I'm not going to shortchange God's word any. But I'm going to try to do this quickly and, and respect your time. Um, Adoption is a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. I mean, we're all adopted in Jesus. Um, that's the only way we get in. But that first night, we sat through devotion with those children, and we sat through eight or ten praise songs, and I watched little kids with their hands in the air praising God, and <clears throat> listening to them pray and just crying my eyes out God convicted me of my worship and me trying to sit on that tile floor with them kids crammed in there like a can of sardines hey, hey, he, he laid you on my heart too um, later that night I was kind of making some notes about the day and God put this passage on my heart, but as he was convicting me, I was in this room with a lot of you. I couldn't necessarily see faces, but God laid you on my heart too. And I couldn't, couldn't not share. So here we are. Um, if you look in 2 Samuel chapter 6, I'll give you a little bit of context. We're going to pick up with verse 12. David, along with what sounds like the whole nation of Israel, is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem where it belongs. There are a whole lot of things that we could talk about surrounding this event. Uh, the backstory: the first time they tried to do it and they didn't do it right, and, and uh, you know, poor Uzzah got struck dead for not respecting God's commands. Uh, we, we could go into a lot of things, but for today, we need to know this was a big deal. This was a big celebration. 
from the look from the text we're about to read, and then it's also recorded in First Chronicles chapter 15. We'll talk about that in just a second. It sounds like a big parade. It, there are a lot of people there. All right, so this is a big deal for for Israel. It's it's a big deal for for King David. So let's pick up in verse 12. I'm gonna read through 23. It was reported to King David, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and had the ark of God brought up from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. When those carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf. David was dancing with all his might before the Lord wearing a linen ephod. He and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and with the sound of the ram's, ram's horn. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter Michael looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent David had set up for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence. When David had finished offering the burnt, excuse me, had finished offering the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed a loaf of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake to each one of the whole multitude of the people of Israel, both men and women. Then all the people left, each one to his own home. When David returned home to bless his household, Saul's daughter Michael came out to meet him. How the king of Israel honored himself today, she said. He exposed himself today in the sight of the slave girls and the subjects like a vulgar person would expose himself. David replied to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me over your father and his whole family to appoint me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord and I will humble myself even more and humiliate myself. I will be honored by the slave girls you spoke about. And Saul's daughter, Michael, had no children to the day of her death. Let me pray real quick, and uh, we'll jump into that. Lord, we're so thankful you love us. God, I just pray that, that you would hide me up here. Father, that you would just uh, open our hearts to hear the truth in your word. God, help me to share that. Lord, we pray that, that you would be pleased with our worship this morning. Lord, that you would be pleased with our study. And we just pray that you would lead us right now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Before we really get going, I want to touch on something just real quick to kind of clarify. There's a few questions I had when I started reading this, even that night over there. This event I mentioned is also recorded in First Chronicles chapter 15. Uh, verse 27 specifically tells us that David was dressed like all the other priests in a linen robe and a linen ephod. Um, probably wasn't the only one dancing. We don't know that from, for sure, but there were a lot of other priests and Levites in that processional. What he did or what he was doing was appropriate and done for the Lord. Um, any kind of exposure that Michael may have mentioned took place was an unintended consequence and probably we, not what we should be focused on for our purposes this morning. And one other little caveat, um, David's conscience was clear. He knew what he was doing. He knew why he was doing it. He was dancing in praise of God in that setting, in that processional. His conscience was clear. It was appropriate. So when you know, she attacks him with that, and he says, well, it was before the Lord, or in other words, I was praising God. That don't necessarily give me permission to act a fool in here and then turn around and say, well, it's okay because I was doing it before the Lord. Um, so don't take that the wrong way. Uh, but what God laid on my heart was that David danced. He was so moved by God's goodness, by God allowing them to return the ark, which was his presence, right, to Jerusalem where it belonged. He danced. The king of Israel leading the parade down the highway danced. 
and he didn't really care what Michael or anybody else thought about it. You know, the Bible says he was dancing with all his might. And I started thinking, well, why was he so happy? And I, I started thinking about what the ark meant to the nation of Israel. It was God's presence with them. You know, David had failed to bring it back to Jerusalem not too terribly long ago because he didn't do it the right way. And God allowing him to do this, they knew, it tells us, when they took six steps, they stopped and sacrificed two animals. When they picked it up and started moving it, they knew God was with them. It just felt right. It was good. And they stopped and sacrificed two animals and then picked it up and, and carried on. I asked Brother Zach, did he think that every six steps did they sacrifice two animals? He said he didn't think that was the case. So I was curious about that too. But this was, this was a big deal. Um, if you read in First Chronicles, it kind of gives us a little bit picture of the, the, uh, the parade, so to speak. And I got to thinking and reading and praying and just mulling over this. and Because I told you, remember, God convicted me first, so please don't, don't feel like I'm up here telling you something that I'm not guilty of. But God asked me, when are, when are you so moved that you're compelled to dance? When are you so moved by God's blessings that you're compelled to shout? Raise your hands in praise. Say amen. Now, I'm not saying that because David danced that we should change our theology or that we should all jump up and get a cha-cha line going around the sanctuary. But I am saying that when we come in his house, our worship should be authentic. It should be from our heart. If you're a note-taker, Point one is that our worship should be from our heart and not bridled by what others may think about it. Our worship should be from our heart and not bridled by what others may think about it. It should be authentic. And you may say, well, if you go find the ark and parade it down Mount Zion Road, then I'll get out and I'll dance in front of it. And that very well may be true. It, it may be. But what's the bigger deal to you? God allowing them to bring the ark back to Jerusalem? Or him overcoming your sin and my sin so we're not condemned to hell? That's a bigger deal to me. We got more reason today to dance down the streets than Israel did all those years ago. Because... God's presence can go with us wherever we are. It's not in a tent. It's not in an ark. It's, it's in our soul. It's in us. That's, that's reason to celebrate. We mentioned the, uh, the kids at General Hands during devotion a couple times. Watching them, they have nothing according to the world standards. They don't have anything. Nothing. But in Jesus, they have everything. You listen to them pray, they, they paint that picture for you pretty, pretty clearly. They have everything. All their hope is in Him. And in that moment, I was writing in that, that brown book right there. God said, what's your everything? What have you let get in the way? What are you thinking about while you're praising me in my house? Yeah, they almost said praise with a little sarcasm. You know, wish we'd have done another song. Man, I can't sing that high. Somebody needs to clean the ceiling, the light fit, what, what, you know. I mean, I, I've been there. I've been there. And I, I've seen it from here. It's hard. He asked me, what do I bring? 
what I bring in his house that gets in the way of, of my worship. So I got to thinking about what worship truly was. What is worship? Well, I looked it up, Webster, Google, kind of put a couple secular definitions together. And the, the, my, my favorite, I'll just tell you the truth, my favorite two say rev, reverence and obedience offered to a divine being or supernatural power. An act of expressing such reverence. And I got to thinking, I probably ought to take the truth of Scripture over Webster or Google. So uh, thanks to a couple good brothers giving me some good resources and just saving me some time. Romans 12.1 reads, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. You want to jot that down? It's Romans 12.1. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23, Samuel's confronting Saul. And then Samuel said, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. Us striving to live as he's commanded us is our, is our spiritual worship. Us living our lives for Jesus, the Bible says, is our spiritual worship. Our obedience is more important than sacrifice to the Old Testament Israelites. Now, how important was sacrifice to the Old, Old Testament Israelites? It, it was very important, right? They had no other way to atone for their sin. It was a big deal. Our worship's a big deal. Because not only does it involve what we do in here, it involves everything else we do outside of here. It involves every choice we make. How many times a day do you have to choose, am I going to serve myself in this moment, or am I going to serve God? I'm kind of hard-headed. I have to make that choice a lot each day. But is there... A bigger decision in our day than that? That's, that's really the biggest choice we make each day. Am I going to serve me or am I going to serve Jesus? Well, <clears throat> what does that look like in, in our lives? I don't know. Now, the ark coming back to Jerusalem was a very big deal. The Super Bowl, if you will. It's a big day. But David didn't get up and dance down the streets every morning, right? I'm not saying we should do anything like that either. But when he was so moved by the goodness of God, he worshiped from the heart. What others think about us should have no effect on how we live our lives for Christ. Michael didn't approve of David's actions. David didn't really care because he was praising God. I can see that she probably didn't see his actions as kingly and dignified. But David did not mind humbling himself before the Lord. The Bible tells us that our spiritual worship essentially is how we live our lives before God as well. So here I am, I've flown halfway around the world, met my son, I've been ministered to by a bunch of orphan children, I've had the opportunity to minister to a bunch of orphan children, and on two different occasions in the same day, two of those little kids came up to me, grabbed me by the hand, until I looked down and said, are you Christian? Now, looking back, I, I almost wish I'd said no just to see what would happen next, to see what they would, what they would tell me or, or what they knew. But, of course, I said yes. <laughs> and I got to thinking about those little kids and, and thinking about us here, life here. 
and we let what keep us from sharing the gospel? That little kid wasn't scared of me, didn't care how I was going to react either. I was four times as big as he was. It didn't matter to him. He wanted to know because that mattered to him. Are you Christian? What's Jesus worth to you? Mm. Remember, I had to ask all myself all these questions first. You know, do, do what others think about us keep our hands in our pockets? Here? What about outside of here? Do what others think about us keep us from serving other people in his name? Do they keep us from, from humbling ourselves and serving others? Because when I sit back and think about who God is and who I am and what he did to bridge that gap, I have no reason not to praise him. I have no reason not to humble myself and serve. You know, that choice we talked about earlier, sometimes I make the wrong one. But I don't have a good reason. When I, when I look at my life in that light, none of the excuses really matter. They don't, they don't add up. So in just closing and wrapping up, are the couple of hours a week we spend here corporately spent truly worshiping him? Is it authentic? Are you like me in fight bringing things from the outside in here that eat up your thoughts while I should be focusing on Jesus? What about our lives each day? Maybe we all should spend some time asking God if he's pleased with our worship. Maybe we ought to take a cue from the children at General Hands and worship him like he's all we have because he is because when this ride's over and you boil all the other things away none of them are going to matter he's the only thing that's going to matter so my prayer is that God's word challenge your heart this morning and that Somehow in my feeble attempt to stand up here and, and articulate what God laid on my heart, that maybe he'd use that in your life to work on you like he's using it in mine to work on me. So Shane, if you'd come lead us in a, a hymn of invitation. I don't know what you got, what you brought with you this morning. I was scared up until about Wednesday. But I, because of Jesus, I didn't bring that fear up here with me this morning. Maybe you need to take some time and, and get some things straight with God about your worship, your livelihood every day. As we reflect on the message today and think about what God is uh, saying to you, let's stand as we sing. that we have um, you may be seated I really don't know of any announcements um, that we have um, 
I think we're still discussing as far as what we're going to do um, this Wednesday and next Sunday. Um, it's, as of now, we're still planning to have Wednesday services and Sunday morning services um, as normal um, unless we put out there otherwise. So just keep watching the, the message and Facebook to see what we have there. Are there any other announcements that we have?